0: Welcome to No Queries, the podcast about everything data. I'm Eric, and with me is Alexi and Ernesto. Hello. Hi. So. Yes. Uh,
1: it's a pleasure to be here, Eric. Yeah, you know, we said hello out of order, so now we're getting confused which one of us is which. It, it really does not matter, I assure you. It could. It might.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> yes. Um, So, I guess, tell me about a little about your backgrounds. Yes, And Alexa, why please. you're on this data podcast. Alexi, tell me more about your background.
2: How much do you know about my background? I was thinking more for, for the uninitiated, for somebody who does not, in fact, know you quite like I do. Well,
1: that's quite all right. Yeah, I work as a uh, ops engineer between data infra and sec ops right now, and I've been doing that for some years. We deal primarily with application data, logging, and access data, and we support the data teams that roll off of Power BI, no no SQL databases like Couchbase and Elasticsearch, and uh, SQL like SQL Server.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: All right. Um, so I am a computer assisted design engineer, uh, work with semiconductors, mostly doing support for our simulators, um, file system. So access control, fucking data control, making sure that the right people can access what they need when they need it, that all of our links work, all of our files are set up the way they need to, that they are referencing the correct versions of everything. Um, if we have an issue with our, our simulator, if we have an issue with, with any of our other software, I'm the one who, Goes in there, does a deep dive on it, um, pulls as much data as I can, puts it into a ticket, and then uh, either fixes it myself or escalates it up to the next level. So, but, how how did you get into that? Um, oh boy! So I started four years ago as an intern, putting paperwork away <laughs> in the in the file room, and then I moved on to doing something called um, ESD, which is electrostatic discharge testing. So I don't want to get too far into it, but it basically just consisted of putting parts inside of a tester um, zapping the shit out of it with a bunch of electricity and making sure it didn't break. So like if, uh, ESD testing is, is responsible for like when you walk across a carpet and then you touch your phone, you discharge into it, making sure that you can still call somebody and your phone doesn't explode in your hands. That's positive. Yeah, that's nice. That's, Samsung could use one of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then after that I started going into, uh, automotive. So dealing with what's called the, the AAC, qualification standard which is the automotive electronics council so when you do um parts for automotive you have to make sure that it's it's stressed a little bit more rigorously than for a standard consumer part because if something goes wrong in a car well you know people are um, much more likely to get injured versus like you know me watching a a youtube video or some shit so yeah that for a couple years and now i'm uh and and you went to school for this i well i went
0: to school for electrical engineering yes right so alexi how did you how did you get to where you're at
1: well, I joined a tech startup, went to Vancouver, and then uh, came back here and then worked uh, 18-hour days for a couple of years. Then I became an intern for 10 weeks, and I just started doing uh, full-time jobs at big healthcare companies. Yeah,
2: different, different backgrounds? But definitely. Days, no college, so-
0: unfortunately. Get the different different approaches. Yeah, I don't want to say you don't need it,
2: but depending on what you do.
0: Uh, for most...
1: IT work you really don't, or electrostatic discharge testing to make sure if your phones don't
2: explode. I mean that, one's, that one. That one you might you might want yeah. a little bit of a, of a baseline. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mister
0: Eric, what are we going to be talking about today? So today' topic is data access and control to the data. It's definitely a
1: hot button issue. Yeah. There's a lot of yeah. people like to think about it, either. It really gets dumped and in a support workload.
0: Yeah. Of course, if you don't think about it, you get data breaches, and you get in the news, mm-hmm. which everybody enjoys. I mean I figured that
2: also go the other way too or if nobody can access your data then nobody can actually do any sort of thing. Then you work. get angry stakeholders. Yes. Yep.
0: <laughs> so what what do you think is a good ideal access control system?
1: Oh man, definitely something with set and scheduled reviews, either monthly, bi-monthly, quarterly, you know whatever your organization needs and timed access that is auto-expiring. There should never be any credential that has an indefinite date that has access to data critical to your company. Mm-hmm. I don't care if a service account, whatever, think of a clever way to get it done, should not just be a password you have rolling around in an Excel spreadsheet for five to 10 years.
0: Oh boy, okay. Don't want the Excel spreadsheet of pass, the password spreadsheet. No. that no, just God, has all no. the passwords listed no. in it.
1: Or God help you if you have someone's local or even their AD account tied to a data pipeline and then, oh, lo and behold, they get a new job. Oh, their AD account's gone.
2: Oh Boom, there goes your pipeline. Yeah, I don't know, I've had to deal with a lot of that. You have, you have a lot of, um, a lot of people changing positions. So like, you know, I, I we had somebody who was working with me in, in, automotive who, who recently left. We had a few people actually, and when they leave, unless their stuff is kept somewhere, you have people who are scrambling to try and find it. So like we have a, we have a, a main managed document system, but people select to store things locally and that's fine when they're there and are able to be contacted. But if they're gone, you know, whether because they leave or because they're just unavailable for the day and you need that data, then you're screwed. Actually brings me to a point that's
1: pretty relevant in healthcare, but honestly helpful everywhere. Mm-hmm. People should not be working with data on a local machine. It, not in this day and age when everything's normally run for a cloud anyway. I can see the excuse if you're an all on-premise, maybe some big government security kind of situation. But Even then, mm-hmm. if you're working on data on not your local, mm-hmm. you have like a more modern solution. It's Azure Virtual Desktop, which used to be called Windows Virtual Desktop. And I can go down that whole tirade. But remote interfaces whether they be virtual machines vdis etc or at least a file share even a OneDrive that can be accessed that doesn't depend on the safety of a local computer yeah not only is it better for the data it's better for security
2: now, how's that better for security? Because I'm a big idiot. If you could explain to me, <laughs> well, because okay. in my mind, have, here, let's say you have
1: your KPIs, you know, your key, key performance indicators for sure. your company. I don't know what that is, but yes, uh, you know, big old like, here's how much money we made doing X, and here's our business model. You know, confidential corporate data.
2: I probably should have clarified. I have no direct, um, like, interaction with KPIs. We don't. We don't. Well, not, sort of never thing. do I. I. Okay, I intentionally avoid doing that. But gotcha. okay. I
0: make them. So. Yeah. Do you really? Well, part of my job
1: KPI just sounds like um, a very business intelligence.
0: I was, yeah, was I was going to say
2: business. bullshit, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess business intelligence, yeah. I'm sure it's helpful in, in some aspect, but like whenever you start quantifying things there, like that, it just
0: seems like they're very helpful if you can get good ones. So like you can, th- you, you look at them in, in your own, like dashboards in your life. If you look at your bank account, mm-hmm. how much money in your bank account is a KPI, right? Okay. Now, Tells you yeah. what you need to know when you go to your like. So if you go to your bank, it should have like a few things on there that give you a very good idea of what your situation is. OK. But the problem is most companies like they start just hiding everything as a KPI mm-hmm. and they, they get probably. like dashboards with like 500 things on them. And then like nobody knows what any of them mean. And there's no like actual like quick. Hey, I'm going to look at this dashboard and know exactly where we stand. Okay. So. See, I'm. I'm- Thinking of somebody using it to track, like, oh, this is the number of hours that this
2: person was active. Exactly. For. That you know, would this be is a the way to yep. tickets you close. It's very, like, it's very objective. You now, an aggregated right?
1: version yep. of that could be useful.
0: Well, it could mm-hmm. be, but it could also be like, does it really matter? Well, yeah, like tickets closed, but then you get into like, well, are people creating their own tickets? Are they different sized? Yeah. Are they controlled across people? So what like are the story points you know, on the tickets, exactly. So like yeah. if one person closes one ticket, that is like a massive project, and one person closes five hundred <laughs> tickets that are like five second items. Yeah, like oh, well, they get a you know big bonus. So that's where like. They're very. You have to put in a lot of effort into figuring out what is valuable, yeah, and, and, and not just throwing things out there and then people use them and and start like making decisions based off of just useless data points. And and frankly, I think
2: that's. I, I don't have enough faith in in a lot of people who um who really them. care. But yes, I guess I yeah. guess for, for lack of a better term, yes, it, people it's make
0: it's common. They're I generally, they're, I would say, on average, very bad. Okay, <laughs> like, but you make them. Well, yeah, but you... How do you live without <laughs> KPI?
1: You can look at KPIs in your field as well, I'm sure. You look at your... I, now, here well, comes well, my ignorance about the electronic engineering field. You look at a circuit board, right? And there are key performance indicators for your transistors that say how much load or current they can carry right before they have
2: a I mean I suppose when you put it like that so at this
1: point especially where I'm working right now we're owned by an investment company so we have to give them KPIs for them to give us money yeah because they don't have the time to dive deep into our business they just want to know like how good are we doing here's some indicators that show that we've improved or how we're going to improve
0: okay engineering actually can have very good KPIs because big KPIs are did a test pass or fail yeah right and then I guess you're right you know a, a matter of 80% Degrees. 80% success yeah. that, you know, that's a KPI so like a, a so. yield for instance, yeah. like how, how many good devices you're getting. Exactly. Of, that's KPI. A so, look, yeah. Yeah. Okay. so actually manufacturing has very like traditionally well-defined KPIs. It's, okay. it's more in the more abstract things of like tracking people. That, that's, I think management I an and, you. and, um, and just other business things of, Oh, how do we know we're doing good business? How do we know a good salesperson versus a bad one? Like, yeah. you know, maybe one gets a lot of sales, but like, they're not, quality or they're no. not, you know, lasting. Maybe somebody buys something but they don't and some other person has a low number, but they get a ton of repeat customers and build like yeah. good. So I just think you lose a lot of sales.
1: Oh, you don't Sales is a rough one. The the tech startup I worked for was actually flooring. Right. Mm -hmm. And we had sales reps that would go out and try to sell to these management companies, apartment complexes. And a lot of them had really good KPIs. One of them had very low KPIs, but he specifically only went after customers that literally nobody else would go for. Mm -hmm. So his KPI would look low if you viewed him as a statistic, but Mm -hmm. in reality, he was earning money out of nothing. Right.
0: So you need to like figure out all those connections and actually give a good picture of of the overall status and i think that takes time and effort that oh it takes a lot of effort not willing to expend nobody puts in so
2: anyway i'm sorry for for derailing so hard kpis tell us about um a more recent uh,
1: example is we recently built a new reporting dashboard for kpis Mm -hmm. and we had to do all kinds of conditional access hoops Mm -hmm. to secure it And conditional access is basically access based on conditions. It's a concept in Azure's Active Directory authentication process. Mm -hmm. So it checks, are you on a company registered device? Are you on... The most recently updated version of whatever browser you're using, is that browser approved? Are you coming from a geolocation? It looks right. It's a whole number of factors that basically go through and confirm your password and your two-factor is good. But should you really be accessing this? Right.
0: I've done ones where it was based on your AD groups because they only wanted executives to see it. So if you're in these executive control groups, then you could access the report. Otherwise, you'd see different data or whatever. Okay.
1: Right. And that's another good one is internal access control mm-hmm. between people in the company. Not everyone needs access to everything. And no. that is. Oh, no, no, they do not. Nope. Not only just no for security, but for their own sanity. <laughs> yes. For example, we have probably well over 100 different pools of virtual desktop resources. And I unfortunately have to see them all because I'm supporting the infrastructure. If every employee did, there would be nothing but madness yeah, and that confusion. Right. Yeah,
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that actually brings up a really good point. Like there's some things that people just do not need to interact with. Yeah. So like back when I was doing um, automotive reports, we had a, a massive tracker full of of all the data you could ever possibly need for it. Like I con- I contacted this person on this day. Here's exactly what they said. Here's the next step. That sort of thing. And it was huge. But unless you were directly working with it, which was me and two other people, you didn't need to see it. I mean, you know, you you could come in there and check in, like, okay, this is still in progress, but like you don't need the, the minutiae because that leads to that leads to questions, that leads to confusion. People don't understand what exactly it is that you're doing and it's just not necessary.
1: I completely so, agree. Yeah. In the pursuit of security, the or sorry, security is really important for something like a healthcare company or government or oh, you know, sure, contractors. Yeah. But for most companies, the most important part of access control isn't security but sanity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Or just misuse of the data, like people trying to get into things that Mm -hmm. they don't understand the background of or Mm -hmm. why things were created. And then all of a sudden you're like in a presentation, like a quarterly meeting, and it shows up on the thing. And you're like, oh, no, you should not be trying to talk about
1: this one. Oh, and that goes to a whole separate topic, adjacent to access control of segmentation of what is a mature report and what Mm -hmm. is not a mature report. I would, I would say research and development versus production on that one. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of people build their reports off production data. They sit in production. That's not a good segmentation. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to segment it based on, has this report sat in the wild, been verified mm-hmm. by people who actually know what the numbers mean mm-hmm. and can be considered mature? Because that's the kind of reports most people should look at. Only a very select few UAT users mm-hmm. or user access testing would be looking at immature right, or reports. reports or like yeah.
0: power users or the yeah. people that are deciding if the data is correct and not mm-hmm. just doing things based on the data. And you're not concerned about yeah, the which product. I don't know. Like I know, <clears throat> I don't know if power BI, like I don't, I feel like, I feel like once the report's out there, there's no like good, like indicators of, of, if this has been like, you know, what tier it is or like how long it's been out there. It just sort of like, once it's out there, oh, people boy. just like start using it. They find a report and they go, oh, I like this one. And they just start using
1: it. And it gets integrated into a SharePoint site and then it sits there and yeah. everything is oh, daisy chained up into a report that actually hasn't
2: been working in a year. Yep. So we, we have something similar to that. So we, we have like a bunch of different revisions for our testing. So, you know, we'll go through and we'll test it once. Um, I don't know, we'll, we'll run apart at uh, 125 Celsius or something. And then we'll see if it passes. And then maybe two years down the line, we'll do it at 150 to see if that passes. And then we'll bump the bump the grade up so it's, you know, qualified for higher temperatures. <clears throat> we keep both of them stored in our management system. But we have to, like, we clearly, like, state this is an obsolete report. Don't use it. Although there's really nothing stopping anybody from going in there,
0: viewing it, and then writing it anyway. But at least if it's marked as obsolete, hopefully they're... Hopefully. I mean, like, that's, that's another... But no, I would say it's very uncommon for people to actually put that much effort in. Usually like a report is made and then mm-hmm. it is forgotten. And like, yeah. you will sometimes you'll get like your, your go through like report stats and it's like, okay, this was made three years ago and has been viewed four times. And it's yeah. like, and then all of a sudden like somebody comes across it and decides to use it. And it's like, <laughs> this is probably not even relevant.
2: Yeah. I guess that's a bit of a problem when you're, you're dealing with stuff that's not viewed by a lot of people, but when they do need it, it's like crucial information. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I've had some of those know? like quarterly reports or yearly reports. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. We, we usually do ours on a device, like the like device by device basis. So like, let me see, um, there's a couple where we were trying to qualify something from like 20 years ago because it turns out that like nobody had ever actually done oh, it. Yeah. And when we go digging for that data, we just don't have it. And then when we try to tell them we don't have it. Now you're sitting at a, at a, like crossroads, like, like, do you just use what was considered good at the time and just say, well, they knew what they were talking about. It's probably fine. Or do we need that sort of verification for it? Right if somebody grabs that old report, which is technically still considered okay. And they go running around doing things with it. Well, that could put us in a bad situation yeah. later.
0: And then that's kind of the question of like, how do you decide mm-hmm. who should be seeing things? Like, cause obviously everybody wants access to everything. Yeah. Oh man. When I finally got administrator access
2: on my laptop, that was, that was so nice.
0: Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's even like, I don't have, cause I'm in a high security environment. Like yeah. I don't have a lot of access to things and I got to. I gotta put in a lot of effort to get access to them, even though I'm, I need yeah. them. So, which I, I guess is the better way if you're trying to be in a secure environment, uh, to like lock it down. Yeah, I think it's in the whole conversation of uh, mm-hmm. matching
1: speed with security. Is yep. if people need access to some data, how do you make sure they get it within a reasonable time frame mm-hmm. while not compromising security? And that is a question that I don't I have to answer right. for yet. Yeah, as bad as that, I
0: don't think it's hard, especially with ad hoc reporting, because like. You know, I've worked at places where it was like, you know, the executive team would shout across the room, I need this data. And it's like, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I can't wait, I can't put in like five requests and wait four days to get access to start looking at the data to then build a report and then get the answer like two weeks yeah. later. He's gonna be like, I needed that like the day of, not yeah. you know. Well, I'll say
1: as a business analyst, business intelligence developer, or anyone that's not Basically on management, you should never take a direct request from an executive like that. You should always say, please speak to my manager so you can prioritize the work or something to that effect.
0: True, but it really depends on your environment. Like a lot of some of them aren't aren't capable of doing that, or you don't have a good manager and they just say, Well, do what they do what they asked. I don't have an opinion. So kind of, I mean, the problem is that i I've, you know, a lot of people in business intelligence like you kind of get out there by being like the person who can get, get you the data yeah. and, and you pride your career on like that ability. So it, you get really put in a bad situation. If, if your, your company doesn't support that idea and when it's yeah. like the CEO yelling at you to get a report, it's like, or to get some data answer. And what do you do? Yeah. It's unfortunate. In an ideal
1: world, there is a followed chain of command. I oh, guess yeah. I'd say. Yeah.
0: Or at least a process yeah. necessarily even if it's We're just still,
1: there has to be inflow right or that wor- the worst thing that could happen is if you're doing these ad hoc reports and then your team or anyone that's looking at you or reviewing you as an employee is mm-hmm. seeing like well he's not spending his time on on actual work that's documented It's yep. just all this they, what
0: did they do all yeah. year cuz it's all exactly. undocumented yeah so that's <laughs> I, yeah i'm a big fan of like you know so. Uh, an easy, a very easy and lightweight ticketing process mm-hmm. that anybody can submit to. It doesn't ask you five million questions. You just put in what you need and at least it's there. And at least it goes into like a priority list yeah. to be worked on.
1: But and even if your manager isn't good, you still should throw that little bit of extra effort in just so that you can have documented proof of what you're doing and yeah. why. Yeah.
0: yeah. But again, like if the company doesn't give you the tools to do it, like, yeah. I mean, I guess you got sticky notes, but <laughs> I it's, guess, it's just That's not right. ideal. <clears throat> And yeah, that's rough. I've definitely been at companies that did that or just, they wouldn't respect any process. And it, it became, oh boy. well, you know, we got to do it for so-and-so cause they're loud and they yell a lot. Oh, that's not good. And yeah.
2: That's oh, super no. common. Yeah. No, I've had, I've had instances like that where you have somebody who comes, you know, breaking the door down, like we need this now and then they do it. And then, you know, a year or two down the line now we're, you know, eating shit because somebody skipped something crucial and they didn't go through the proper channels. Mm-hmm. And
0: now, yep. That's another thing. Is usually it's like I need this data, and of Mm -hmm. course, you know, you run and grab it, and you give it to them, and you say, "Okay, I did this in like three hours. Like, didn't have a whole lot of time to test or Mm -hmm. confirm, or you know, I'd like to watch this data for a week to see what it's, and then they, and then you just hope that they take that seriously. Otherwise. At that point, it's yeah. out of your hands. Yeah, like, like what, a what month you later, you, <laughs> get, you gave me this number, and now it's wrong. It's like, well, yeah. you know, what'd you expect? Yeah, and
2: unfortunately, that sort of stuff is is lost, you know, over time. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you, you can save emails and stuff, keep documentation. Yeah. When somebody comes in there and asks you to circumvent security measures because they need something done now, yeah. you can at least not get your ass thrown under the bus. But this is where access control comes in. If you
1: have mm-hmm. a good security team, you mm-hmm. should always be confident in being able to say, like, sorry, it's not in my hands. Yeah. The decision to give you access to this data. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it shouldn't be in a developer's hands. A developer right. is exactly that a developer. They are not sitting there reviewing policy. They don't have the time to decide who on a company shouldn't, shouldn't see what data. Right. And if they are, you need to hire more people.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, this, this is a common, like data tends to be understaffed and it all seems to be thrown onto some sort of mythological do everything analyst, analytics, scientist, engineer, developer, like, you know, <laughs> it's the full stack, just yeah. the data. Oh God. Yeah. And then, you know, there's just nobody in the company that actually like, yeah, thinks of the actual importance of the data from the business side. I
1: mean, that's something you should always be able to ask whoever is requesting a new report from you. What is the purpose of this report? Because half the time they're not going to know. And then you probably shouldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then another one is uh, I need this report right now. And then you, you drop everything that Mm -hmm. was like scheduled to be done. You work on that all day, you hand it to them. and, And then they like, you know, a week later, you realize they never looked at it. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, I just throughout all of my like mm-hmm. reliable stakeholders who follow the process and, and do the right thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, kicked them to the curb so oh. I could work on this person who was screaming a lot, oh, get their thing done. And then they didn't even really care about it. It wasn't important. I had no business. Value. That's another thing. A lot of yeah. times mm. they have no actual value and you put aside things that are actually valuable because they've been yeah. decided and people have talked about, and then you work on this pointless stuff all day. Yeah.
2: Oh, boy, I hate that. I, I, th- to go back to what you were talking about, if you have a good team you can point to and say, well, if you don't have a clear reason for it, then I'm not going to waste my time.
1: Well, you don't have to be quite that aggressive about it. You just, I guess. I mean, I've, done, I've dealt with a I'm lot of as people. Developer, who, you just always want to route it to someone whose job it is to deal with this The system.
0: problem is they'll always have a reason for it. Yeah. They'll yeah. always give you some thing. It just, and you're not usually in a position to know if that is a valid no. case or not. And so you just sort of have to trust them yeah. If, I mean, they're, if they're high enough up, which a lot of time business intelligence is working with higher ups yeah. and and you just have to like, okay, I guess this is important. And then, you know, some other higher up is like, why would you not do my thing in, for this thing? And it's uh, like, you just get in a weird situation. It's just
2: nice to have somebody to point to, whether that's a manager, like you said, somebody who's able to step in and say, I'm sorry, we don't have the resources or the time to devote to this unless you have a very good reason for it or you have policy you can point to. Um, I guess just in a way, something to cover your ass so that nobody is looking at you like, well, you're not doing what I'm telling right. you. We don't need you. That
1: sort of thing. Now, there are absolutely legitimate cases for mm-hmm. an executive to roll in and say, hey, I need this report done ASAP. If you have like a big client meeting, mm-hmm. it's going to happen the next day. And they suddenly decided, hey, can we get this information about this part of your company? And yeah. no one knew about it. That is entirely no one's fault. And that yeah. is just critical data. And that's right. absolutely a P1 issue you should tackle.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's a big problem with business intelligence is like, it's hard to run things like, like scrum or any like regimented process that says, okay, you're going to have an interrupted to do this. You're this week, you're going to work on this. Cause like it, it never works. Like there's always, it's like a support role. Like there's always going to be things that come up that, that overwrite other things, trying to build a a firm process that can't account for that, which every company I work going tries to do cuz that's like software development is all scrum you have un- uninterrupted week or two weeks of mm-hmm. development and nothing is going to you know alter your path and they try to implement that cuz it's software loves it and and it just blows up
1: most teams don't usually or rather, most companies don't usually create a data team until it just kind of sprouts on its own they don't plan around having a data team when they're building their t- initial teams right it's sort of
0: like, well, we've got these analysts from all over this company. They should get together and be a team. Yeah. yeah. just kind of throwing something together. Yeah, that's not
1: great. That's the other brutal true. thing is when you have a lot of, you don't have anyone who are subject matter experts of the data. You just have a bunch of people who can query the data are mm-hmm. know enough to be dangerous. And then you end up with massive tech debt of thousands of reports sitting somewhere. Oh, oh boy. Or, <laughs> that's, that's another <laughs> whole topic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: or people querying against production data and impacting yeah. production performance. Yeah, I see that a lot on like forums and stuff of like, oh, hey, we're we're really struggling with Power BI. We're thinking about switching to Tableau or the other way around. And it's like the answer is always like "Um, both of these tools should be able to handle whatever you're trying to do or any of the other tools. Like it's probably a problem with your design (laughs) and your queries and all that. And switching platforms is not going to solve your problem. But they always just jump to a new tool. Let me ask a question here what is tech debt again? I'm a big idiot. I do not know what the hell that is. That's a good question. So if you, if you develop something, let's Mm -hmm. say you, um, think of an analogy. Let's say Mm -hmm. you build something, a chair, sure, right? You built a chair, a beautiful chair. Yeah. You have a beautiful chair. You sit Mm -hmm. in it. It's great. Over time Mm -hmm. screws might come loose and you've got to go screw them back in. Right. That's the maintenance you have to do. Yes. So, like, when you start building something, mm-hmm. you build it, and then you're done, even though nothing's really ever done. Mm-hmm. But there's always going to be some amount of maintenance to it. Mm-hmm. It could be not much at all. Maybe you just have to do something sort of cleanup like a year or so. Mm-hmm. It might be, like, a constant thing. It might be something people really like, and then they're just adding to it. And so there's always, like, like maintenance. So any technical debt is when you build, knowing that you're going to have maintenance down the line okay. to deal with. And it could gotcha. be – it. sometimes it's because you're rushed, and you're like, well, this is the f- – you know, here's the security I should be doing on it, but uh, I they need it tomorrow, so yeah. I'm just going to hack it together and, you know, next month we'll come back around and and do a security uh-huh. review. Okay. So that's like you're probably your more common intentional debt. Mm-hmm. And then there's the unintentional debt of like you just did a bad job. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we all it, you yeah. kind of everybody does cuz like grabbing know. an intern to to you know, make, right. a, make well, like if a your file team management is,
2: system or something. <laughs> yeah.
0: If your yeah. team's overstressed
1: and someone developing a piece of it doesn't have access to a higher level resource to verify what they
0: did. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I see. there's a lot of reasons, but it ultimately comes down to future work that's being kicked down the road. Okay. okay. Um,
2: so, so in this case, this would be something where you can, you can optimize, you know, your, your, uh, your chair, if you will, if we're going to roll the chair example, think of it this way. Let's uh-huh. say you have a
1: mounting bracket to connect the, uh, the back of the chair to the chair. And uh, it has four sc- slots for screws. You put them in. You can't find the fourth screw, but you can't wait a week to have it ordered and shipped in. So you just roll off the three screw chair. OK, yeah. so that would be incurring. incurring that would be tech. tech that. technology. Be and then you think sure you that.
0: think I'm going to have to run to the Home Depot and grab a new screw to fill this. Gotcha. Fix this one. Like, but,
2: you know, this chair is shipping out like in an hour. I don't get time for that. I got to one to the next chair. Or maybe it's like, well, I need something to sit on right now. Let me go grab like a milk crate. <laughs> Even though it's only going to last you for two weeks. And yeah. then later on, you really have to scramble to put something together. Okay.
1: Now it gets a lot more brutal when you're talking about, you know, protected health information I'm that sure. has tech debt behind it. Yeah. Right.
0: Okay.
2: makes a little bit more sense.
0: Yeah. And then that's, that's a big industry thing is trying to eliminate that through like automation and, yeah. and processes that try to eliminate, you know, the less human interaction, the better. Yeah, i sure. Exactly. You're introducing points of error there.
1: Most of the ways you I would almost argue to say 100% of the ways to eliminate tech debt is by spending more time on something mm-hmm. and time is money. Yeah. Businesses don't like you spending more time than they think you need to. Yeah, My or, favorite.
0: Okay. Yeah. I would say time or, or experience. Like sometimes it's just, it's better to have two developers work on something than one. But you know, again, that's, that's two developers you got to pay to work on something. So actually to tie that
2: back into what we we're talking about earlier, when you, when you have people who are, like, say so you have a very, a very high level developer something that is, you know, very talented. You need them to do actual proper work and you're kicking them like tech support stuff to do. Like you, you are wasting so much time and money by having this higher level person do it when it could be handled by somebody you're paying 15 an hour. Like you, not only are you you're wasting their time; they're not getting anything productive done, but you are also spending more on on lower level. Right, tech
0: support. and of course, they're still going to have the same work that they needed to get done. It'll yeah. just now be more rushed. Yeah, so now. That so guess right. what? Now you're going to need more technical support because yes. that's the well, not always, but I'll, I would say half of your support issues are because of technical debt, and the other half is just access unexpected. control. Yeah, half well, the time, <laughs> yeah, access or unexpected, you know, new changes and things like that. I mean, I imagine it's hard for software too. There's, there's
2: so many things that can go wrong. Yeah. Like, you know, like, like dealing with our simulators, it's like a freaking house of cards. Like anything could go wrong at any point. And now I'm trying to scramble to figure out what exactly caused it to break. Yeah. You know, it, it could be a certain set. It could be like certain environment, like uh, variables you have or something. So it's just, it's a nightmare.
1: This is where I'll roll into a little mm-hmm. side tangent, about absolute versus relative deadlines. Mm-hmm. Most things <laughs> do not go straight into production. They go through development first. The problem is, a lot of times a business will want to say, "Here is the deadline for it being in production." That is not a sane idea, especially if you're also setting deadlines for development or and any middle ground like UAT, uh, pre-production, etc. If you set a deadline, it should be for a development product, whether it's an MVP or a fully fleshed out form, and then a relative deadline set, let's say three weeks after development is finished. Because if your development gets delayed a week and you're on an absolute deadline and you have two weeks to hit production, that's how you get a lot of tech debt real quick. Yeah.
0: Also, if you're doing that and you do the development and you assume it's gonna go straight to production and then your user's like, oh no, we got the requirements wrong, or you know, oh, we miscommunicated and this is not really what we wanted. like. You've got to go back and and fix that. And, oh, no, we got to be in production tomorrow. And then oh, you've blown a deadline. Yeah. Now, Which is every <laughs> everything you develop. I, I don't work. think I've had very few things that just went straight to production that had business user interaction. You know, it's funny
1: you mentioned that because I just, that KPI report, I was talking about straight to production. Mm-hmm.
0: I could
2: have sworn there was a big company a few years back that that had an issue with that. Where there there were deadlines that were like every two weeks or so and and nobody could catch up with them. So so all the testing went undone. Like oh, yeah. you cobbled something together, like like I think there was one yeah. where where um you had a function that was like supposed to like return the height of like a cell or something and it was hard-coded to always return 12 <laughs> because nobody yeah. ever
1: changed that, it. That is a big misuse of Scrum in the two week sprint. Yeah. Th- so th- that was a
0: problem. Yeah. I mean they they realized it down the line, but yeah, like Yeah, that's you know. that's what happens when you do, hey, let's let's do Scrum. I heard it's great. And every two weeks we're gonna deliver something. And then you don't actually you you put in two weeks worth of work mm-hmm. and you don't leave any of the time to do QA and all your other checks, whereas you should be doing four days of actual development and the rest should be dead or however if you're a heavy yeah. QA environment, maybe like two days of like actual development. And then the mm-hmm. rest just dedicated to making sure it's right. And yeah. then you can go to production, yeah. but it's super common to say, we're going to do scrum. We're going to develop something. How long do you think this will take? Probably two weeks. Okay. Do it in the sprint. And then at the end of it, it's like, okay, here it is. Nobody's looked at it. I just Boy. finished it like last night at midnight. <laughs> so, um, I mean, yeah. Hey, speaking as an outsider,
2: it seems like it really shifts your priorities from delivering a proper product to just covering your ass and meeting this deadline.
0: Like- I'm a bit like, I am a big fan of agile processes, but, but The problem is they're just terribly implemented by, you know, managers and and teams and things. But like the idea of like setting a deadline and working in small increments that can be done in that amount of time. Like that's how I like to work anyway. Mm -hmm. But like I don't try to cram in work through that whole two weeks. I try to, you know, give myself time to think, give myself time to develop, give myself time to validate, to test, to make, to deploy Cause that can be a process and mm-hmm. depending on your environment, So like, like I like the idea of, cause some people work better with deadlines. I'm fans of other systems better that are more, less strict deadline. But um like, so mm-hmm. I know I've met, I've known some people who are like really good developers and they're just like, I really like having a deadline. Otherwise uh, they're perfectionists. Yeah. So they'll work until, you know, forever. So you kind of have, it's like to balance oh, that. Gotcha. Okay. We don't want to like, spend a year on this thing. Cause it's, it's overkill. You don't want to rush it either. Yeah. But I mean, I
2: imagine it works well for certain, certain types of, of people. I, I don't yeah. think I would enjoy it. I yeah.
1: think and if you're doing any kind of engineering and development work an agile workflow is probably one of the best ways to do it if it's done right, because it can support a variety of different developer styles. But the most important part of it that a lot of people get wrong is grooming. Before you start any work, deciding what your work is going to be.
0: Grooming is taking a ticket and then figuring out what exactly it should be about how much effort you think it's going to take. And that's how you prevent having a two week cram to get something done. Gotcha. Is if you groom it well, Uh you know that, okay, you you're basically slicing it into chunks that can be done in a shorter amount of time and then giving yourself plenty of time to do it and test it and validate it. OK, that that seems like it makes a little bit. But almost no. Very few companies have actually had like grooming sessions or a grooming person or somebody to take the work and is good at like breaking it into digestible chunks.
2: I say, that does seem like it'd be a little bit of a, of an issue. Like you really have to know what it is you're doing in order to, yeah. to, to be confident that, that you have broken it down into a chunk that is
0: manageable. Yeah. It's a really hard skill and one that doesn't get a lot of Uh, attention or support or pay. And it's an ever-changing
1: process, too. Your developer that comes in will have the exact same work as a developer that's been there for years and a whole different Mm -hmm. level of, we'll call story points, like estimated difficulty of each individual subtask of your main task.
0: Yeah, and what they love to do is they love to somebody in some higher level picks out the ticket and then they assign points to it and then they hand it to the developer. Mm -hmm. It's like, really, the, the developer is supposed to just look at it and go, okay, I understand this. I've done this 10 times. I can knock this out in a day. Mm-hmm. It's a low, low estimated effort or point mm-hmm. it's, it's value, but instead it just gets handed down to you. And it's like, this is low effort. And you look at it and be like, I have no idea what any of this means. Oh, like, okay. I'm, okay, sure. I'll do this in a day. Like, okay. Story points. <laughs>
1: yeah. That topic story points should be tracked per developer. Mm-hmm. And you can still have, let's say you want every developer working 20 story points a week, you might have someone who looks like they're getting more work done, but if they're working the same story points as a newer person, that is in effect the same yeah. amount of effort. It's supposed to
0: like uh, normalize it across mm-hmm. people. So like, you know, if I've been there and doing this for 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, I might have a, a one point. And as you, as a brand new, yeah. you know, person on the job with very little experience, it might be a five point, mm-hmm. you know, even though it's the same work, but okay. So it's supposed to kind of normalize it, but obviously it requires, like KPIs, yeah. like actually not just throwing a number on it and yeah. saying this seems low effort. You actually have to, you know, think about all the f- different factors and things that go into it.
2: This okay. is where you,
1: your aforementioned grooming person is so hard to find because it typically has to be someone that is born from the team, not someone who comes in right. as a grooming person.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. OK.
0: I mean, they could. I've, I've known some good like um, anal- business analysts and type people that got really good at it. It's just learning everything. But But they're still an onboarding period then. Right. Well, well, yeah, of course. Yeah. But they would take the work item, they try to break it down into reasonable chunks, and then they would go out to the teams and discuss it and figure out, okay, do we understand this? What more information do you need before it's ready? (laughs) How do you how do we okay? Okay, so knowing the team and who's gonna do the work and And adjusting point value based off of that, that sort of thing. So communication is crucial as it, it as it's so as often it always seems is, to be. Yes. And never happens.
1: But not only <sighs> communication with mm-hmm. the business, but communication with the individual developers. And that's the part. Yeah, the, the People who run the people the war, who right? either are good at talking to people or good at talking to business and not both, which is yeah. where
2: grooming people are such unicorns. So. Yeah, Gotcha. Okay. I just never thought about it. I don't typically have to deal with, with, you know, higher up people. I deal with my manager,
1: but you know it's Well that's a good that means that someone yeah. is you have middle management. People give middle management a lot of, you know, jokes and media, but middle management is what saves your life as a yeah. an employee. Oh yeah. yeah,
2: good good managers are everything. I mean, like yeah. like when I was working at a grocery store, my middle management sucked. Like I right. how to do a damn thing. Like like if my store manager doesn't know how to order <laughs> and I'm 19 and I can, you know, figure it out on my own, like yeah. there's, there's a bit of an issue there. But oh, yeah. like I mean, you got
1: Dilbert. I mean, that's a classy
2: example of bad middle management. Yeah. <laughs> was Dilbert a manager? No, he wasn't. No. Yeah.
1: Dilbert's boss. Yeah, the pointy year
2: Okay, yeah, I'm, say, I'm not crazy.
1: Well, sorry, the comic strip was also called Dilbert.
2: Yes, it was. I oh, sorry, I thought you were referring to the, to the person Dilbert and not the comic strip Dilbert. Um <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are we talking about? No, yeah. okay.
0: Yeah, I I so it, yeah, it is, it, yeah. Yeah. But like again, this is where I I, I think engineering is interesting because I think the engineering world is much more well-defined in these kind of processes and things cuz it's just different than software and I feel like it's, they don't run into quite the same problems. Like, I don't think anybody's going to like run into the middle of your day and start screaming that they needed a different chip for you right now. No,
2: no, that typically goes through the proper channels. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then somebody will ignore it for two weeks and then they will come breaking my door down telling me they need it now. Okay. And so so I you mean, still have some of the same it's, issues. It's in a different, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little different. different. I mean, it's, it's the issue is, is, you know, people.
0: Or, or coming uh, to you telling anymore. you, Hey, I need you to manufacture this thing that I do not have specs for. Um, yeah, that's, that's what most of development is. I yeah. need this thing. Okay. Tell me about it. Mm, no. Yeah. See, yeah, that, that, doesn't work. Yeah. You need to know what exactly it is you're building right. before you can start doing it. Yeah. Cause that's the thing in software, you can always go back and change it. Yeah. And that's yeah, I, a little bit different. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so I think that's, and people take that and abuse it and go, well, it's, I can just change it later. So I don't have to know oh, what, God. what it is now. And, and that's, that's part of what agile is, 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 acknowledging that yes it can go back and change mm-hmm. but like you do still need to have some idea up front. yeah oh man especially if you plan to throw it straight into production that's such an odd thing to me trying to make something when you don't have a clear idea of the end goal yeah it's it's weird it's, like it's fun to do once you get used to it dude, but it seems like a the problem is when there's unfair expectations mm-hmm. or demands or uh you know promises made to customers yeah that's yeah um,
1: there's a lot of uh a lot of pressure, especially for newer developers to say they can do anything
2: they're asked.
0: Mm-hmm. You're also expected to be an expert on day one.
2: Yeah, that, that's rough. I mean, again, I'm very glad, you know, that that I have good management where I'm at. Right. You know, they understand like these things take time even though i did go i went to school for this sort of stuff but like there's things that you don't know until you
0: get in there yeah yeah like and again i think because i've known some other people in like different medical engineering fields and stuff and like it seemed like there's always much more training and making sure that they get it right because they understand the cost of not getting it right Mm -hmm. whereas in business intelligence or engineering or whatever Mm -hmm. you're sort of just expected to go and and just there's not usually much of a good training Man, unless you have, a, so unless it's a good management. manager, yeah. but usually there's not much structure around it. You're just sort of high. And again, a lot of times there's one person in the company. If it's a smaller company, there might be like one analyst or one person. They just get hired in and it's like, uh, they you ask questions and they just people stare at you blankly and it's like well we hired you because you you know this you're supposed time. to know yeah. this oh wow oh, yeah. yeah
1: i mean that's one of the worst parts of a lot Seriously? of tech industry is there is no documentation
2: it is all tribal knowledge that bugs the shit out of me tribal knowledge is is oh god i hate it like there'll be times like we we have machines at the office that that like two people know how to do we had we had one that only one person knew how to write you so, know, new programs for and then when he left well right you know, now we have this this you know this piece of equipment that cost a couple hundred thousand dollars and nobody can work yeah it sounds like you nobody...
1: have a, a very good understanding of tech
2: debt then. yeah yeah i guess that makes sense <laughs> i mean now that you've recontextualized it for me yeah no, it's it's no like like when i when i do stuff when i create tickets when i go out and and you know roll out like a new a new release or whatever the hell it is that i'm doing like I i track everything mm-hmm. not only for the benefit of other people if they need to come see it like you know like when i left from automotive you know, I made sure that I knew uh, the person who was replacing me knew exactly what I was working on, exactly where I was, where to get all of my data, where to get all the data, you know, that other people might possibly need right. in the future. But if I come back and I need to work on something, you know, a year down the line, you need to have that sort of information because right. you're
0: going to forget. And this is, I'm also a big fan of not siloing people so that they get pigeonholed and like, OK, this is their thing. This is what they do. Like pass it around to different team members, make sure everybody like. You know, if, if something an breaks, it. it doesn't go, well, that's Eric's thing. He's got to fix it. Like, I don't have know. a single point of failure, maybe. Right. Mm-hmm. It'll make sure like, oh, hey, okay. This thing broke, you know, Alexi built it, but this time Ernesto will go work on work to fix it yeah. and work you with him. cross training. Yeah. Yes. To like actually pick it up. And then, hey, the next time it breaks, you got two people that can fix it. Yeah. And then you just expand out. It's like. I've worked a lot of companies that you just get siloed and it's like, oh no, this is this is the problem. This is them. And if you try to give it to somebody else, they just like throw it over the wall at you. Uh, just, that, that, just that seems kind of like thing. bad. That seems like bad business practice. Right. Not, it, not
2: only was, are you missing a chance to better yourself by getting additional knowledge, but you're also screwing the company.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of factors there. I mean, you recurse the a subject matter expert where mm-hmm. someone becomes the person who knows everything about thing. Yeah. And then they're always expected to be the person responding to thing. Now, subject matter experts are good in the sense of mm-hmm one person that is planning the architecture mm-hmm. out and understands all the high level concepts of, of a piece of a product that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, but a lot of people need to be able to support it. Subject yeah. matter expert does not mean the only support person exactly. for yes. a product.
0: And it's natural. Like if somebody builds something, they're going to be the expert on it. Yeah. Like it's just the nature or if you know, you have somebody who learns how to use a certain piece of equipment. They're probably going to be the mm-hmm. expert on it. Yeah. But like the fact that anything that has to do with that equipment, equipment or, or software, or whatever has to go to that person. Yeah. That's the mistake. That's, yeah. and that's what always happens because again, it takes time to give to somebody else who's going to do it slower. And when it could just, yeah, I just give it back to them and, and they'll, they'll do it real quick. I mean, like this is again, where, where good documentation would help yeah, you know, having right. people who are, who good, are doing cross documentation, good management, good yes. knowing that, Hey, spending the extra time to have two people, three people, a whole team that knows how to do something yeah. is more valuable and much better business continuity than oh yeah, leaving it up to one person. Well, it's also good for the, the individual
2: too. I mean, like, you oh, know, yeah. back, back when I was filing papers, like, well, I mean, let me, let me rephrase that. So, so when I was starting out as an intern filing paperwork, um, you know, I was working with the reliability team and they're like, you know, well, do you want to learn how to how to run the the system diagnostics in the morning? I'm like, sure, yeah. You know, I'll learn how that learn how our um, our burn-in ovens work, I'll learn how all of our like testing equipment works, get all that. And then later on, you know, I I now have a baseline of knowledge. I can come in there and start testing when I need to. Right. And, you know, you you get a lot of exposure to a lot of different areas and it makes you, I mean, in my mind, it makes you a more valuable person. Like not only can you, can you work better with your other, um, like other groups, like we we call them business units, I guess. But like, um, if I need to go talk to somebody from yield, for instance, like, Hey, what's going on with, um, I I guess like this, this wafer here, like we're, we're, we're getting a bunch of bad units on this. Like I can, I can talk to them because I have a little bit of cross training.
0: Right. Right. Exactly.
2: Well, and it makes know. sense when they're talking to you more and you yeah, understand. It what the, yeah. It lets me do my job better. It lets me communicate what I need from them better. Yeah. And it makes me more valuable if, and when I, ch- I choose to to move. Oh,
1: yeah. you might end up stepping into two of the darker parts of company culture here. Mm-hmm. First one being where you're working on things that are not directly relevant to your job and you'll be mm-hmm. punished, not rewarded for it. A yeah. lot of companies have issues when people working outside of their field is mm-hmm. they're trying to which hire you for a specific purpose, which is pretty ridiculous. Or you end up doing someone else's work on top of your work mm-hmm. and not getting acknowledgement for it. So you have to be really careful, yes. as especially as a new employee or an intern,
2: especially. Especially. Yeah, yeah. Because at that point, like you, I mean, like I felt like I really couldn't tell anybody. No. Oh, exactly. I mean, great. thankfully, I had very good management who stopped that from happening. You know, keep work on what you need to. Yes. Get a little bit of exposure. But like, you know. Yes. Basically, it should be encouraged and it should be rewarded. It should. Exactly. Be, yes. And yeah. not and not, you know brandished like a
1: weapon. The second (laughs) dark part there of company culture is being a subject matter expert for your own security. If you're in a company that is mm cutthroat and you need this job, for example, or you otherwise oh, yeah. are concerned about your job security. <laughs> Being a subject matter expert and the only one on something business critical is the fastest yeah. way to make sure you're never losing that yeah. job. People get yeah. very
0: defensive over their ter- their territory, which is, again, ridiculous to me. And it's a sign yeah. of bad company culture. That, so, that's also probably a sign of not be. a great employee because they don't believe in no, their yeah. ability to to do things they yeah. believe in their ability to control that's yeah. true i would say that one
1: can vary dramatically based on a person and the company I've, I've never had a person to deal with it so oh, that's, i have. <laughs> <to>
2: say, i <laughs> think <laughs> i think you what? guys
0: might have some more experience that, that one might not be have, as prevalent might hardware. be a topic Probably for a different like time it. yeah so oh boy all right i'm here yeah let's uh let's let's wrap up we had a good discussion about uh uh security access and then a lot of other things <laughs> 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 we'll grab bag of stuff yeah that's how it goes. Uh, so thanks for listening. Check out our data videos on YouTube at youtube.com slash no queries. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcatcher so you don't miss out on future discussions about life with data.